Um, we're continuing our series here as we're looking at the life of Joseph. And today, I, I've sort of alluded, if you've been paying attention or you've been watching online or you've been seeing what's going on, I've been talking about the different stories that we've sort of hopped over. Now we're going to talk about a, a really key turning point in Joseph's life. And have you ever noticed that a big theme in movies is revenge? You ever, you ever notice that? A lot of movies have a revenge theme to them, especially if it's like an action movie or some kind of drama. Uh, maybe even comedies kind of sneak it in because unfortunately, most of us struggle with wanting to get revenge. Um, a movie that my family really likes because it's something that the whole family can get into and, and you don't have to worry too much about it is a movie called The Princess Bride. Has anybody ever seen that? Everybody seen that movie? Uh, it's, it's a really funny movie. It, it's, it's good. It's like I said, it's something for kind of all ages. But the whole theme of that movie is a guy trying to get revenge with first a woman who he thinks has turned her back on him. And then ultimately the guy who has betrayed uh, him and taken her away from him. And it comes down to an end where he wants to have that revenge. And then also there's another guy who's trying to get revenge and he's looking for, does anybody remember? Six-fingered man, that's right. And he gets the revenge that he, you know, it's, it's not the biblical revenge, I guess. But the main character, he ultimately decides that the best revenge is kind of, of just living life the best he can and, and goes forward. And so it's a really neat story. But I'll have to tell you this. The best story of revenge that I know of is actually a true story. It's a true story. Um. I, uh, and many of you have heard this, so bear with me, but there are some people that haven't heard, but uh, many years ago, a little over 20 plus years ago, um, my wife and I were dating, and she dumped me on my birthday. I, I know it's a dead horse that I'm beating, but that's what she, the gift she gave me as a preacher was to do something like that, and I can tell that. She dumped me on my birthday when we were dating. But here, that's not the revenge. The revenge came um, a little over uh, two years later almost. Two years later is I then proposed to her on my birthday for spite. For spite. I, I, I loved her. I loved her so much and it was sincere, but I proposed on my birthday just so I could say, ha, I'm the bigger person. I'm the bigger person. And that's not even the revenge. The revenge is that she, she said yes, and she's been stuck with me now for almost 21 years. Yes. <laughs> Joke's on you. Ha. <laughs> I, I know I'm not right. I know I'm not right. I, I need Jesus every day. Um, but, but what greater revenge is that she's stuck with me for the rest of her life, you know, or the rest of mine. Mm, I, I don't know. Just say that. But anyway. But here's the thing, most of us, when we get hurt, whether it be on a small way or a big way, is we automatically want revenge, don't we? You know, it, it's kind of natural. We want revenge, we want to get even. And Joseph, if you've been reading along or you've heard these stories before, you've been paying attention to what we've been talking about, if anybody had a case for revenge or had the reason for a desire for revenge, do you think Joseph could raise his hand? Absolutely. Joseph had every reason. To, I mean, his own brothers 
were going to kill him, and then they decided, well, we won't make any money off of that, and so they just sold him into slavery, which is not very good. And time and time again, he had people that promised him one thing but didn't fulfill it, and so there's another opportunity where he could want revenge. And beginning in verse 42 of Genesis, Genesis 42, or excuse me, chapter 42, you see Joseph's life has really turned for the better for the first string of years that we see recorded in Scripture. It seemed like every time things were starting to go well, something else would happen and somebody else would do him wrong. But here we've got a long string of time where he, life is just really kind of going well. And he's the second in command over all of Egypt. Only Pharaoh is above him, and you could almost debate that maybe he was sort of above Pharaoh. Pharaoh looked at him as a father in some ways. And then, like a Hollywood movie, his enemies, which unfortunately were his brothers, are delivered, dropped right into his lap. They're dropped right. I mean, it's, you couldn't have written a better script. And all I could think of is uh, the office when Michael Scott comes in after he started Michael Scott Paper Company and he comes in and he wants to say, oh, how the tables have turned. And he says, oh, how the turntables. And then he doesn't know what else to say. And that was kind of the awkward feeling that, you know, they were supposed to get. So good way to play along, way to play along. But he said, oh, how the turntables. And, you know, you think, man, here they are. They're dropped right in my lap. I am I'm basically junior king i'm the vice president if you will of all of egypt and now they're here i can destroy them i can torture them i can do whatever i want and joseph may have thought about every single one of those things he may have been plotting throughout his life what he would do if he ever got an opportunity to be with his brothers again and the famine that he had warned Pharaoh about as he interpreted Pharaoh's dream had taken place. And that's what led his brothers right there to be dropped in his lap. They came to beg Egypt for food because, because Joseph had set up such a great plan and protected the people of Egypt. You couldn't ask for more poetic justice, could you? A guy who'd been done wrong time and time and time again, and now he's finally in a place to make it right. It had been years. And you've probably all heard the saying that revenge is a dish best served cold. You know, you let it sit there and it festers. And man, just when they don't even, the person who wronged you doesn't even think about it anymore. Man, then you could get revenge. And this was going to be the case it looked like for Joseph. And it seems like in his first couple of encounters with his brother, starting here in chapter 42, that maybe Joseph might exact his revenge on them. In the first visit, Benjamin, his full brother, who was even yet younger than him, didn't come along. And he called the brothers spies. He said, you're spies. You came here to just see what we've got and, and, and take the advantage of us Egyptians. And he heard his brother Reuben saying that they were probably being punished for what they did to Joseph. And he, he may have been thinking, oh, you just don't know yet. You know, you don't know exactly what was completely going on in his mind. And then as he gets ready to send them back home, he says, I'm going to keep one brother. And he kept Simeon here. I'm going to keep him locked up. And he told them to bring back his full brother, Benjamin, later on. And then to top it off, the money that they brought to buy grain, he put back in the mouths of their sacks filled with grain and sends him home. So when they find it, they are terrified. They're like, oh my goodness, what in the world? I mean, they're going to say we stole this grain and they're just hard. They're having a difficult time with it. 
And they tell their father they need to bring their brother back. And he's like, there's no way. I've already lost one son. He doesn't know how he lost that son. But he says, I've already lost one. I'm not going to lose another. And now you've got Simeon, who's as good as dead too, who's left behind there in Egypt. But they finally get hungry enough. And so the second visit takes place. And they bring Benjamin along. Because the father, Jacob, doesn't have any really other option. So he brings Jacob along and if they have a big feast there and he's weeping in secret because of this time that he gets to be with his family and see his brother. And this time again, he returns their money again, puts it back in the sack. But this time, what looks like could be some revenge, he takes a silver cup or chalice, his own royal chalice, and puts it in the bag of Benjamin. And then he chases them down when they get a little bit down the road. And he says, ha, you stole my cup. And so they all come back. And it looks like everything is going to fall right into what you and I might plan, right? It's a great time. He could even destroy. He could kill them all if he wanted. And he threatened to arrest Benjamin. But Judah pleads for his life. And he basically says, take my life. Don't allow my father to be destroyed by the death of yet another son. He says his life is tied to Benjamin's life and my father will die. And Joseph, whether he had been realizing it all along or not, Joseph ultimately sees sees that they are different men. And that they don't only think about themselves and they're willing to sacrifice for a brother He sees they're different men now. And so we pick up in Genesis 45. Genesis 45, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all these who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it from the outside. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. And Joseph, uh, excuse me, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. That could be one of the biggest understatements of scripture. (laughs) I mean, you're talking about terrified you're talking about terrified? Uh, another movie that has a revenge plot um, that ultimately he tries to do the right thing is a movie called The Count of Monte Cristo, based on the old novel. If you have never seen that movie, it's a really good movie. You should check it out. But when he reveals himself as the guy who was betrayed and, and sold into slavery in prison, basically, I mean, people's faces are just, they, they can't believe it. And it's like they literally have seen a ghost. And, and that's what these brothers were like. They were terrified because they'd seen their brother. They knew, like we talked about last week, that their sin had found them out, right? Have you ever had the opportunity to kind of say gotcha to somebody? And seen that look on their face? You know, have you ever been gotcha'd yourself? And somebody is like, oh, you thought you got away with this, but boom, you know, you lay it down. And, you know, you, you, you lay it down and you say, I've gotcha, I gotcha. Well, Joseph had this opportunity. And you know the temptation of just laying the smack down was right there in his brain because he was a human being. And Joseph was probably wrestling with that, maybe even down to the moment. 
to bring the hammer down on the person who hurt you, but Joseph doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. Why? Why doesn't Joseph do what most of us would want to do? I believe it's because Joseph realized that God takes our troubles and turns them into a testimony. God takes our troubles and he turns them into a testimony. I love how the song said that earlier. Did you catch the idea of of our testimony that God will make and he'll make it true and he'll make it right? If you look at verse 4, it says, So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in these land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Man, I love that phrase and I I, I like talking about it a lot because, I mean, life seems bleak at times and it seems like there's no hope and it seems like everything is against you and it seems like it's all falling apart, but God. And he said, but God sent me. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. God used Joseph's pain. The pain his brothers had caused him to make him a powerful testimony of God's power. And if you're like most people, when you start talking about revenge and forgiveness or unforgiveness for that matter, and pain and betrayal, chances are you're probably not really thinking a whole lot about Joseph's pain. You're probably thinking about your own. Even if you sit here or watch at home and you've forgiven somebody, Maybe you've had to say it a hundred times over. Even though you may have forgiven, the pain may still be there, right? And when we talk about betrayal and unforgiveness or, or people not deserving forgiveness, I guarantee you that a person or a group of people popped in your mind. It might have been the jerks who excluded you in middle school and you still think about them. Or it might be a a family member, a spouse, a loved one, a a boss, an employee. and uh, It might be any number of people, but they come into your brain and you're like, I just don't know why they had to treat me that way. I don't know what I did wrong to deserve to be stabbed in the back, to be lied about, to have that knife twisted in my back, to be left alone, to be neglected, to be made fun of, to be laughed at. You fill in the blank and you already are. I don't know why they did it to me. And I don't believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God caused those things because sin causes pain and heartache and death. But God can take those sinful acts that people do and transform them, your troubles, into a testimony. 
And it's like he can almost be laughing at the plans of people as they try to destroy your life and say, oh, you thought you did something there. Wait till you see what I'm going to do with it if I just have enough time. If you allow me enough time, I'm going to make your trouble into a testimony. I'm going to make your time of pain into a time of the truth of God's power. Through those efforts of their, his brothers to try to destroy him, God saved most of the known world there at that time from a famine because of putting Joseph there in Egypt in that, in that early time. And in the same world lived his hateful brothers who did such horrible things to him. And I want you to know, I want you to understand, I want you to hear it is that God will do more than we ever could imagine to help people see His love and His grace if we practice grace and forgiveness. It may seem impossible. It may seem like there's absolutely no way. You just don't know, Bobby, what I've been through. You don't know what they did to me. But the truth is that God gives us the power to bless people. God gives us the power to bless people. If we'll trust Him and we'll forgive and we'll lay things at His feet, God gives us the power to bless people. Look at verse 9 there. It says, Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. That, my friends, is a picture of radical grace and love. Radical grace and love. It's one thing to say, I forgive you, but it's a whole other thing to love and to hug and to fall on the necks of the people who have stabbed you in the back. And you may not be to that point, but I don't want you to exclude. I don't want you to, to write off what I'm saying if you're not to that point yet. But pray that God would help you to see what it's like to give radical grace and love to people who don't deserve it. Because there's a truth that we talk about quite a bit here at Movement, and it's this simple fact. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Either he changes everything or he doesn't. And why I say that is because you may say, well, I believe Jesus can save people from their sin. But then when somebody hurts you, you really wonder if they could ever be saved. And you wonder if they deserve to be saved. And you wonder if you could ever forgive. But if Jesus has changed you, then he's changing everything. And that means he's changing every part of you from the inside out if you'll allow him to. And he can help you learn to radically show grace and love to people who do not deserve it. But are you willing to allow him to do it? It's not simply about just simply forgiving. It's about a change in our hearts. It's about a change in our hearts. When we learn to let go of, of hate and anger, even when we don't have the opportunity to do it in person or face-to-face -face with the person who's wronged us, 
we are the ones who are set free from our pain and our torment. And then God can use it to heal others, can he? What we have to understand and wrap our brains around is the powerful truth that when we hold on to unforgiveness, it's not the other person we're hurting, it's ourselves. And we're giving them power continually over us, even if they don't even think about us. They don't even lose a moment's sleep. They don't even gloat. They don't even remember. But we give them too much power, and so we destroy our own lives. When we let go of hate and anger, even if we don't have the opportunity to do it in person, we're set free from our pain, and God can use it to heal other people. And Joseph gets another opportunity to share this radical grace. Because a few years later, his father passes away there in Egypt. And automatically, his brothers start to think, uh-oh, now we get to see if this is real stuff. We get to see if he's genuine. We get to see if he's sincere in his forgiveness or if that was just an act while dad was alive. Now we'll see what happens. Maybe now he's going to exact his revenge. But Joseph saw the big picture. And that's what you and I need to get our brains wrapped around. We need to be able to look at the big picture of how we can forgive people. Because he remembered how God turned his trouble into a testimony for God's glory. Look at Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Beginning in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and will pay back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him, and his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. Who else says that many times in Scripture? God does through angels many times. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. He says, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. But God, there it is again. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God took it and he twisted it around and he flipped it. He changed it from the inside out and you thought it would destroy me, but it was for your salvation that God brought me here. Not just my own, but for yours as well. So that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Verse 21. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. That phrase, and I want you to wrap your brains around it. I want you to hear it. I want you to soak it in. I want you to take it down into the very inside of who you are in your heart. What you meant. And stop for a second. I want you to picture the person that you have the hardest time forgiving. Now you may not have anybody that you truly haven't forgiven, but there's still somebody that you struggle with picking back up that grudge every now and then again. But I want you to picture the person or the group of people that you have the hardest time forgiving, and I want you to do your very best. Close your eyes if you have to, and I want you to 
even if you have to point at them, I want you to say this to them. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. And you're probably going to have to say it a hundred more times. <laughs> but God can take your brokenness and he can turn it into a blessing. Do you believe that? Your mouth does. But maybe your brain struggles with it. If you're like me. God can take your brokenness and turn it into a blessing because Jesus changes everything and he can do it. God can take your mess and turn it into a message. He can take your mess of a life, whether it was caused by you or caused by somebody else, and maybe you're the person you need to forgive because of the destruction you've made in your own life. Let it go. As Elsa, I think, is that the right one, would say? Let it go and forgive yourself because God can take your mess and turn it into a message. And God can take your pain and turn it into power. He can turn it into power. He can give you the strength that you never thought you had when you learn to let go and forgive yourself, forgive other people who have hurt you and harmed you, and trust that He is able. And it all starts with forgiving those who wrong us. They don't deserve it, but guess what? It don't matter. <laughs> they don't deserve it, and so if you waste your time and energy waiting for them to deserve it, and if you hold your breath, it's going to be out in about 30 seconds. Because if you're sitting here thinking, you don't know my pain, you don't know what I've been through, you don't know what they did to me, if that's what you're thinking, you're right. But Jesus does. Jesus knows your pain. He knows what they did to you. He knows better than you do what they did to you. He knows the broken parts in you that you don't even understand yet. He knows what they did to you. And when he was hanging on the cross, when he was hanging on the cross in all of his sinlessness, he was hanging on the cross for sins that he did not commit himself. He was thinking about you and me. He was thinking about us. He was thinking about his friends that had forsaken him, had turned their back on him, had betrayed them. He was thinking about the Romans who had pierced him, his hands and his feet, and ultimately would pierce his side. He was thinking about the Jews who stood there and mocked him at his feet. And those people, you and I and all those people combined, is who he looked to the Father and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. <laughs> Praise God. He was thinking about all of us who have wronged him and betrayed him. So if anybody understands your pain, and anybody understands what it's like to try to forgive somebody that doesn't deserve it, it's Jesus. He said, Father, forgive you and me because they don't know what they're doing. And if Jesus can forgive, so can you. So can every one of us. It's been said many times before. Holding on to anger is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. 
It doesn't make sense, but many times we've done it, haven't we? Holding on to that anger, holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. My question is this. Who in here today or who online is waiting for someone else to die while you're slowly wasting away with unforgiveness? Who's letting it destroy him? It doesn't have to. It's time today for you to live. It's time today for you to live. Whoever you are, it's time for you to live today, to be free, to let go of the unforgiveness, to forgive like Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness. Now, here's some important things real quick. Forgiveness doesn't minimize the damage or condone the behavior. You're not saying that what they did is not wrong. You're not saying it didn't hurt. You're not saying it didn't mess you up. Forgiveness doesn't need to be preceded by an apology. Because if you wait for that, you might not ever forgive. And you'll just keep drinking poison. It doesn't have to be preceded by an apology. Forgiveness is an act of will, not of emotion. If you're waiting for the right feelings to come along, you'll be waiting a long time. And so you need to choose to forgive. And then this one, forgiveness sets free the person who forgives. Because many people, as we've said, and I'm going to say it one more time, many people who you will forgive have never lost a night's sleep over what they did to you. Some of them don't even know what they did to you. But you have been held in prison if you were unwilling to forgive them. And it's time for the people who are watching right here. It's time for myself. It's time for the people watching at home to truly live You may never want to be reconciled to that person who's hurt you, but you may save the soul of someone else who needs to see your example of grace and truth and love. And that's the most important thing. Who knows what it might do in that person who's wronged you, but there are other people who are watching you and need to see you live out a life life of grace and truth and love and forgiveness. In the novel and in the movie, Unbroken, You hear the story and you see the story of Louis Zamperini, a man who was shot down in World War II in the Pacific Ocean and was kept as a POW by the Japanese soldiers in a horrible, horrible camp. And he was mistreated because he had been a world-class Olympic athlete and they wanted to break his spirit more than anybody else because to them he represented America. And if they could break him, that was going to break everybody else in that camp. And so this guard named the bird, they call him the bird, tortured him horribly over and over and over and over and all but killed him. And many years when he was liberated, he came home and it was like he was still in prison. He, he was troubled with alcohol. He became an alcoholic. He abused his family. He did horrible things to his, his wife and his children, and he almost lost them all. But thankfully, he came in contact with the story of Jesus, and it began to change his life, and it restored his family life. And then what he had been doing was saving up his money to go back to Japan to kill the bird. He was literally trying to save all of his money, not to go on a a vacation, but so he could murder the man who had taken his life from him. But then when he came in contact with Jesus, instead of raising money to go do that, he decided he was going to go and forgive the people who had hurt him. 
And he went to a prison that was holding people who had committed war crimes. And many of the guards that were at the camp where he lived and was tortured were there. And he went and he forgave as many as he could face to face with tears in his eyes. They couldn't believe it. And he wanted to forgive the bird. He wanted to see the bird. And he still was struggling with that one. But the bird wouldn't see him. And then ultimately he learned that the bird had committed suicide, had taken his own life. And it says that he was overwhelmed with emotion when he found that news out. He was overwhelmed. He was overcome. He was just completely covered in emotion. And he was surprised, though, by what he felt because it was not hatred that he felt. It was not relief. He felt compassion. That this man never got to know forgiveness, even though he had done horrible things to Louis. Because Louis realized that he had done horrible things to many people and ultimately he had done horrible things to God and his relationship with God. And he had compassion. And so that is when Louis finally knew that he had truly discovered forgiveness and what it was like. And so maybe today you and I, you watching at home, need to understand what forgiveness truly is because you need to be free. I need to be free. Who needs to be free today? Perhaps you yourself have not had God's forgiveness in your life. And the scripture is so beautifully simple in what it says. It says, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you're willing to turn away from your life of sin, hear me in this, it's not get your life perfect. It's just turn away and turn to God. Confess him as Lord and King. Say, God, you alone are going to be the Lord of my life. You meet him in baptism where he he washes away your sin. He gives you his Holy Spirit, raises you up to a new life, and you can be free. Your sin no longer has claim over your life. Satan can no longer accuse you because you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and you are free and forgiven. If you need that today, come and let's talk about that. Let's make that happen. Because nothing else will make sense. You won't understand forgiveness. You won't be able to grasp forgiveness to share it with anybody else if you yourself don't have it yet. But once you have that, maybe some of you are sitting here and you are drinking that poison. You're taking it like shots, just waiting for that person to die. You don't have to be imprisoned by what they did to you anymore. You don't have to be named by what they called you behind your back or in front of your face or the way they betrayed you. You don't have to be owned and destroyed by that. You can live today and be free. But it won't happen until you let it go. It won't happen until you say those words, I forgive you. And then you say them again and again and again. Forgiveness is freedom. And Jesus changes everything. Let him start with you today. Let's pray. Father, give us strength when we cannot utter the words. Help us, Father, to know that we can't wait for the right emotion, but we just need to make it our decision that we are going to forgive. Or we need to make the decision that we're going to surrender our lives to you so we can begin that process of sharing that forgiveness and grace with other people. But God, help us not to be cowardly or afraid, but to stand in your truth and your power and allow you to take our troubles and our torment and turn them into testimony. 
Help us, Father, to show grace and love to people who have wronged us and to the people who are watching on the sidelines who need to see it. Our children, help our next generation not to be destroyed by unforgiveness and pain and heartache, but learn that they can be free and free indeed in Jesus. Thank you, Father, for giving us grace when we didn't deserve it. Help us share that with other people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.